When will Jesus return for the church? No one knows the day or the hour. Only God knows this information. But we do know two things that had to happen before Jesus could return, and both of them have already happened. Therefore, Jesus could return at any time, or the Great Tribulation could take place at any time. Before Jesus could return, two things had to happen, according to the Bible. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 tells one of those things which had to happen before Jesus can return for the church. Start at verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by a spirit, nor by word, nor by letter from us, as that day of the Lord is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. In 1982, God said to me, the falling away are not people leaving the churches. The falling away are the churches leaving the scriptures to set up other doctrines. And by the falling away, the man of sin is revealed because the only thing that holds Antichrist back from the churches are the scriptures. And when you remove even a small portion of one scripture, Antichrist is free to move into the church group. And church groups everywhere have removed scripture and changed their doctrines and added things to the church that are not in the New Testament Bible. The Catholics, of course, have many things not in the New Testament Bible. That Catholic church is Antichrist, but so are the Protestant churches. Why? Well, which one of the Protestant churches actually does what Jesus said to do in Matthew chapter 5, verse 32? This one scripture is explained away or completely ignored by the majority of Christian churches today all over the world. Listen to it carefully. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 32, But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her, that is divorced, committeth adultery. When was the last time you heard this at the churches that you've attended? The man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. When have you heard that? I've never heard it at any church that I've attended in 40 some odd years. I've never heard it. Why? It wouldn't be popular. There was a man at a dinner that I attended, a secular dinner. He was wearing the largest cross I've ever seen. He was seated next to me at the table. Before the dinner started, 
He was talking and he identified himself and introduced himself as the former pastor of Indiana Street Baptist Church in Lubbock, Texas. And he went on to say, oh, we have such a problem at the church. Well, everybody at the table looked up wanting to know what the problem was. This was the way he got their attention. He went on to say, we've added on to the church three times and we still can't seat all the people who are trying to come to church. And I said to him, well, if you would teach what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, about half of the people would leave you and you'd have no problem anymore seating the people. His mouth fell open. Why? Because they don't teach this. Whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. In other words, the woman who is divorced and remarries commits adultery, but her husband who divorced her will be the cause of her adultery. And Jesus said, Whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. Why you start speaking that type of thing at a church, Matthew 5.32, you will be very unpopular instantly. And you truly will have most of the people in the congregation leave and fail to return because they will go seek a church where the pastor says it's all right for a divorced woman to remarry. And where the pastor says, it's fine if you marry a divorced woman. We'll perform the ceremony right here in the church building. That's what's happening. What is this? Antichrist. Opposite to Christ. This thing they are doing in the churches today is opposite to the Word of God in the New Testament Bible. So the churches get bigger and bigger and bigger because the one thing the people of the world want is freedom to sin. They want to be approved in their sin. They want a church that will approve them in their sin. The people of God, the real people of God, want freedom from sin. They want freedom to sin. And the ones who want freedom from sin know that the Holy Scriptures are freedom from sin because they tell us what to do. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few that be that find it. A woman in our church group, her adult age son, said to her, The Bible is so legalistic. The woman told me this story. I turned to God, and I said, This story really bothers me. The thing that this man said really bothers me. Her son was 51 years old at that time. He was divorced from his first wife, 
separated from his second wife. And he says the Bible is so legalistic. And God reminded me by the Holy Spirit of verses 13, 14 of Matthew chapter 7, reading it again. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. It's easy to go in the way of destruction. The gate is wide. There are many ways you can go into destruction. And Jesus says, many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. And God said to me, most people want freedom to sin. The real church wants freedom from sin and the scriptures are freedom from sin when you do them. The man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. If you do that scripture, it is very narrow, and most people won't agree with it. Most people in churches won't agree with it. Straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. At the point in time when I was a new Christian in 1975, my best friend was a former Baptist. I was at her house one day, and she had the most extraordinary silver I've ever seen, silver pitchers, silver bowls. And I said, I've never seen anything like this. And she said, well, when I was a young woman, I was a Fulbright scholar, or Rhodes scholar, I don't know which of the two, and I was in Italy. And I met a young Catholic boy and I became a Catholic in order to marry him. And his family gave me this silver when we married. It was the Del Monte family of the canned foods, Del Monte canned foods. That was the boy she married in Italy. They got back to the United States and he left her. And she told him, she said, you'll never find an American woman to please you. But he left her. He divorced her. It's Matthew 5.32. He divorced her. She was a faithful wife to him. He divorced her. She went out and remarried. The man who married her committed adultery, according to Jesus. I knew both Donna and Hal. And at that time, I said to Hal, Hal, if you had known Donna was a divorced woman, would you have dated her? And he thought about it, and he said, no, I don't think I would have. See, in the 1940s, there were some churches still teaching Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, but most of the churches fell away from that scripture. Howell had been taught this scripture. He had been taught the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. But Donna didn't tell anyone at the church that she had been divorced. Hal dated her, fell in love with her. His first wife died of cancer, and he had three small children, and he wanted to remarry. So he was looking for a wife at the church he attended. Donna did not tell him that she was divorced until he was already in love with her. 
then he went ahead with the wedding. And by doing so, she committed adultery and he committed adultery, according to Matthew 5, 32. I've never heard Matthew 5, 32 taught in any church that I have attended. Think about it. Have you? Have you ever heard this taught? What Jesus said? In some churches, they explain it away. And in some churches, they just never mention it. But they go right ahead with the marriage ceremony in the church where the pastor performs the wedding ceremony between the man and a divorced woman. And he sanctions the adultery. And the church members sanction the adultery by going along with it. All of this is Antichrist. The falling away from Scripture is Antichrist. Antichrist comes through the churches. And there are many Antichrist, according to the Apostle John. He told the church in, the day, in his day, he said, you've heard of Antichrist. And even now there are many Antichrists. And they had been sitting there in the church. Now we have a situation where the pastors have gone along with the idea of removing certain scriptures falling away and the people in their congregations fall away and Antichrist rules both in the ministries as well as the congregation. All you have to do if you're of God is to pray for God to show you the truth and look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 3 and 4. Now let's turn to back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day of the Lord shall not come, except there come a falling away first. Falling away from Scripture. The whole church going along with substitute doctrine that is not from the Bible. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. And he is revealed by the falling away, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. No, Antichrist don't look for him in the governments of men. They are so far gone that they've compromised their life away to get elected. Look for Antichrist through the churches because Paul tells us this. There's a falling away first. The falling away is falling away from Scripture. Churches falling away from Scripture. And that opens the door for Antichrist to come into the church. That opens the door whereby Antichrist is revealed. And he sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. It's in the churches. Antichrist is in the churches. This has already happened. This has happened big time. Where have you ever gone to church where you've heard Matthew 5.32 spoken? And if you did hear it, what did they do? Didn't they explain it away? I've heard them explain it away. That's Antichrist. And in 1 John 
chapter 2, verse 18, the Apostle John said, There are many Antichrists, and today there are even more. That sets the stage for the return of Jesus. Therefore, the return of Jesus, he could return any time, provided one other thing is done. Jesus said before he returns, and this is in Matthew 24, before Jesus returns, the gospel must be preached into all nations all over the world. What about Internet? It goes all over the world. And there are people like me who speak. The gospel has already been preached all over the world. Jesus didn't say to every living creature, but he said all over the world to every nation. That's already happened. These two things have already happened. That had to happen before Jesus returns for the church. He could return any time. Now to the subject. You must keep yourself ready all day long, every day, because Jesus could return at any time, and no one knows the day or the hour. But the Apostle Peter told us how to keep ourselves ready for the return of Jesus. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. Peter says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Everything we can see with our natural eye will be destroyed at the end of this world. It will be destroyed by God. First comes the Great Tribulation, 14 plagues. You can read about that in Revelation 8, 9, and 16. After the Great Tribulation, God shakes the heavens. The power of heavens are shaken. You can read that in Matthew 24. It's approximately verse 29. The sun goes dark. The moon goes dark. The stars fall from heaven. And it says in that verse, the powers of heaven are shaken. And after that, Jesus comes with his angels. The angels are sent out to the four corners of the earth to gather the elect. And when they arise to be with Jesus, they are taken to the new heaven and the new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness, which we are told about in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. But continuing with Second Peter 3 for a moment. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. One of the prophets described it as being rolled up like a scroll, that the heavens will roll up like a scroll. And then they leave. They disappear. They're on fire. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Then Peter says in verse 11, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, 
What manner of persons should you be in all holy conversation and godliness? And Peter's going to go ahead and tell us in verse 14 what we must do to stay ready for the return of Jesus. Verse 12, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. And that's the Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. But we look for a new heaven and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Do you think righteousness is going to dwell on this earth? Do you think it's going to be proper judgment by men of this world? They've already compromised their life away. And even most church people have compromised their life away by leaving portions of Scripture undone and disavowing portions of Scripture in the church. It's not going to be righteous on this earth. It's the new heaven and the new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Verse 14. Now Peter's going to tell us how we have to live every day. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him. Be diligent that when Jesus returns, he finds you in peace, without spot, and blameless. You're not going to be out there protesting on the streets for good and evil. You're not going to be doing that. You're going to have to be in peace. And, And part of not protesting is realizing that this world will not be righteous. It's the new heaven and the new earth wherein only righteousness dwells. So to be righteous... You're going to have to be found in peace at the time Jesus returns. Have you had an argument recently with someone? Have you had a debate? Are you angry with anyone? You better turn to God right now in prayer with that and ask God to create in you a new heart, to renew a new spirit in you. David prayed that in Psalm 51. You better do that because if you are angry at anyone at this moment and Jesus returns, you will not be one of the ones taken to the new heaven and the new earth. And you say, oh yeah, once saved, always saved. Once we're saved, we're always saved. Let me read a scripture to you. Revelation chapter 3 verse 5. You see, you have to compare scripture with scripture in a godly way. Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. So you've been taught once saved, always saved? So all you have to do is just rejoice and do whatever you want to do. Remarry if you want to remarry, divorce if you want to divorce, and remarry if you want to remarry, and get drunk if you want to get drunk, and be sober if you want to be sober, whatever you want to do. You're headed straight for damnation if that's your course. Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus says, He that overcometh 
The same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. Your name can be blotted out of the book of life. My name can be blotted out of the book of life. Our commission on this earth is to overcome. How? We overcome through prayer. We overcome the temptations of the flesh through prayer. God help me. God help me. And then we hear what the Holy Spirit has to say, and we do that. And we keep the scripture before us day and night that the Holy Spirit has spoken to us to overcome. He that overcometh, said Jesus, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Most people have their hope in governments of men. They're hoping they get the vaccine in time before they get coronavirus. They're hoping in governments of men. Why aren't we praying? I prayed. I prayed over coronavirus. And what I prayed is that I not that God not let me get sick with coronavirus. But I'm not going to be so boastful that I tell you or anyone else, I don't need a vaccine because God will keep me well. Now, I declined the vaccine with my medical, uh, the medical people. I said I didn't want it. But I had prayed beforehand. And I told God, I don't want to take this vaccine, but I will if you show me to do it. God didn't show me to do it, so I'm not taking it. If he wanted me to take it, he could show me to do it. He can communicate with me. He's done it for more than 40 years, and he's taught me to follow the Spirit of God. But I don't want to be boastful and say, Ah, God will never let this happen to me. No, you pray first and ask God what he wants you to do. Let your request be made known unto God. This is the way to continual peace throughout the day prayer. Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7. We must do this continually to be ready for the return of Jesus, to stay ready for the return of Jesus. Let's read Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7. Be careful for nothing Do you have anything you're concerned about in the future? If so, you're not doing this scripture. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. I have a cousin who was 97 at the time this happened. She told me, I do well during the day, but at night I get so lonely. Her husband died 10 years ago. And I said to her, Oh, Jean, all you have to do is when you start feeling getting, that you're getting lonely, just turn to God and ask him to help you. Help you get through the night. Help you get through till time, the, that part of the day until it's time to go to sleep. Help you. 
That's all you have to do. He'll help you so you won't get lonely. This cousin has been in Church of Christ since she was a baby. She's been taken to church since she was a baby, and she's 97. All she had to do is Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. And I was excited for her because I knew that was the answer for her in this problem. About two weeks later, after this, I got a letter from her, and she said, I do well in the day, but at night I get so lonely. This woman's been in church all of her life, and all she had to do was pray and just ask God to help her. That's all. Prayer of faith. And verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now let me ask you a question. Is there anything that you're concerned about in the future? Any kind of appointment? Anything. Your children? Anything. Your husband? Your wife? Anything. If so, you're not praying in faith. You really haven't done Philippians 4, 6 in faith. Because if you had, God would have given you something which would bring you peace. And the thing we have to do when Jesus returns is be found in peace. So Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, we must do it constantly. I can tell you in all honesty, there is nothing at all that I'm concerned about. Now there might be something in 10 minutes that would pop up that concerned me. Well, then that's the time to pray. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And once again, what Peter said that we must do to be ready for the return of Jesus is to live in peace, without spot, and blameless every day, all day. And the minute something pops up that concerns us, to be in peace, we'd have to pray. Only God could cause that peace to come. Without spot and blameless, living honest lives in, in Christ Jesus, in the Word, living with all of the word of the New Testament, not just with a portion of the word of the New Testament, if you remove any part of any scripture, it opens a door for Antichrist to move into your life. If you're sitting in a church group where they're teaching wrong things and you know it's wrong, you're damning yourself, possibly for all eternity. It's a very serious matter. But we must live according to the New Testament Bible. And we must restructure our thinking according to the New Testament Bible. It really doesn't matter what we think. It matters what God thinks. And he tells us what he thinks in the Bible. 
That's why Paul said to us, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Why Paul said to us, be not conformed to this world. It's not a matter of what does the world think. It's a matter of what does God think. What does the world think about homosexuals and lesbians? What matters is what God thinks, and we make ourselves in agreement with what God says. And what he says in the Bible, we find in Romans chapter 1. Start reading at verse 25. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. For this cause... God gave them up unto vile affections. This is what God thinks about it. It's vile affections to practice homosexuality or be a lesbian. It's vile affections according to the Bible. It doesn't matter what you and I think, except in one thing. Our own personal salvation may depend upon how much we conform ourselves to the Bible to the New Testament Bible. So Romans chapter 1, verse 26. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. It is not my opinion. This is God. It's his opinion. And we simply come along and agree with what is written in the Bible. We agree with that. And by agreeing with that, we put ourselves into a good position. We agree with what Jesus said. The man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So we don't do that. We agree with what Jesus says. The woman who is divorced and remarries commits adultery. And the man who divorces a faithful wife is the cause of her adultery. We had a man in our church group that I heard he, was, he had filed for a divorce. I called him. I said, I've heard that you filed for a divorce, that you filed in the U.S. courts for a divorce. Was your wife committing fornication? He said, no. No, she's always been faithful. I said to him, that's the only scriptural reason for divorcing a wife is that she's unfaithful. And if you divorce her and she goes out and remarries, she commits adultery, but you will be the cause of her committing adultery. I went over Matthew chapter 5, verse 32 with him. His next decision was to remove that divorce that he had filed and not divorce this wife. 
See, we conform to the scriptures. And when we do that, we're ready for the return of Jesus if we're living in peace. Thank you for allowing me to speak this to you today.